From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Happy Monday. It is good to be back with you. Good to be behind the microphone. I took a little time away last week for a prayer and planning retreat to get ready for the second half of the year. So I want to thank Joseph for uh, filling in for me. Of course, after a week away, I've got plenty to talk about. So let's get right to it. Coming up today, President Biden once again making a statement on Taiwan only to have his staff walk it back. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are. That's the commitment we made. That's the commitment we made. The president made that statement to reporters in Tokyo, Japan, earlier today. We'll discuss why it matters with Florida Congressman Mike Waltz in just a moment. I'll also get him to weigh in on a Friday federal court ruling ordering Title 42 pandemic restrictions to remain in place at our southern border. And yesterday, global health leaders gathered in Geneva for a week-long meeting of the World Health Assembly. That's the decision-making body of WHO's 194 member states. The pandemic has demonstrated why the world needs WHO, but also why the world needs a stronger, empowered, and sustainably financed WHO. That was Dr. Ted Rose, the WHO Director General, earlier today saying that the world needs WHO. Well, there's some that may argue that point. The meeting is being closely watched because of proposed amendments to international health regulations put forward in part by the Biden administration that will govern future pandemics. We'll get an update from Michael Alexander, co-chair of the Law and Activism Committee of the World Council for Health. And uh, here's one for you. Like a creepy neighbor, State Farm is there. A corporate wokeness whistleblower is sounding the alarm over the insurance giant partnering with an LGBT group to give books promoting transgenderism to five-year-olds. They're proposing these books go to local schools, uh, to their libraries, and to the public libraries. Will Hild, executive director of the Consumer Research, is here with more on this breaking story. Also, on Friday, the National School Boards Association released the findings of an independent review of their now infamous letter to President Biden. Remember that letter calling concerned parents domestic terrorists? Well, the report confirms what many of us suspected all along, collusion. FRC's Meg Kilgannon joins me with the details of the, uh, the uh, report that she has dug into. So we're going to take a look at that a little bit later here on Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Everything is archived right there. So if you miss anything, you can find it all later. It's a great resource as well to point your friends to. If they don't have a station near them airing Washington Watch, they can listen to it live at TonyPerkins.com. Today's verse coming from FRC's Stand on the Word Bible reading plan is found in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6, and it reads as follows. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. You see, faith moves us to action, as faith is confident in the power of the Lord. Look at Jonathan's insightful and, quite frankly, logical understanding of God's power. If it is the power of God that delivers, then whether it is by many or few, God is the one who brings about the victory. So trust him today. To join us in this daily Bible reading plan, you can go to frc.org Bible. 
You can also join me each morning, Monday through Friday at 844 Eastern Time at frc.org Bible or on my Facebook page for a short devotion based on the daily passage. As the world has watched with worry over the Russian invasion of Ukraine, many foreign policy experts also see parallels to a potential reignition of a dormant 73-year-old civil war between communist China and Taiwan. President Biden's recent comments on American military defense of Taiwan is a departure from longstanding U.S. foreign policy that is what is becoming somewhat of a pattern. The White House then has to quickly walk back what the president says. But what should the American response be to any potential Chinese military action against Taiwan? Joining me now to break down the implications of the president's comments and more is House Armed Services Committee member Congressman Mike Waltz. He represents Florida's 6th Congressional District. And like me, Congressman Waltz uh, just recently uh, was uh, sanctioned by Russia. So, uh, Congressman Waltz, welcome back to uh, to the program. Hey, good to be with you, Tony, and, and I'll take that sanction as a badge of honor. Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, China doesn't like us, Russia doesn't like us. Um, I guess we're doing something right. Yeah, add that to Iran, Cuba, and Venezuela, and that's just fine by me. Yeah, and, and, and I would say, for my sake, the Southern Poverty Law Center, there's a common thread among all of them. They're all communist. Uh, but yeah. let's let's go to uh, President Biden's uh, answer uh, this morning when he was asked about whether or not the, the United States would defend Taiwan if China invades. What do you make of his comments? Well, I actually, Tony, agreed uh, with his comments uh, because I think we need some strategic clarity uh, in terms of deterrence. Uh, as uh, the Chinese Communist Party are developing their plans, their stated plans for the reunification of China, either peacefully or militarily, uh, I think our goal needs to be to prevent that from happening. And when we look at uh, deterrence as it pertained to Ukraine uh, and Russia, deterrence clearly failed. Putin was not deterred. uh, And now we have six million refugees, entire cities being leveled, Uh, a a regional, if not soon to be global food crisis and the devastation that we're seeing in Ukraine. Yes, we've had a tough and unified response. But my point is, when it comes to Taiwan, having a tough and unified response after the fact, after Taipei is leveled or after China seizes Taiwan by force, uh, it will be devastating. And why should the American people care? I think it's important to understand that if China takes Taiwan, they will control trade routes and shipping into Japan, South Korea, Australia, Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam. I can go down the list. They will essentially control 50% of global GDP and trade. uh, And that will be a huge step in their march to be the global dominant power. So today's remarks from Biden saying, our military will intervene. Uh, We will not allow this. I actually welcomed But then as White House goes and cleans it up and changes it and muddies the water, and this kind of mixed messaging coming from this White House is incredibly dangerous. I would agree with you in that I believe the president's first statement was the correct statement. I think putting everything on the table to say, yes, we will consider all options. I think had we done that 
in Ukraine. We may have had a different outcome, although not advocating for that. I, I don't think we should take anything off the table in terms of our response to aggressive actions against our allies. And so the troubling aspect, and, and you can even see this in, the, uh, in this press conference, where there was a kind of an audible stir in the room with reporters quickly recognizing that he had stepped further away from this strategic ambiguity that the U.S. Right. has pursued with our, our Taiwan policy. But what message does this send internationally as soon as the president makes a statement that you have his White House staff going back trying to change it and clean it up? Well, once again, it, it leads to the question of who's really in charge uh, and who is writing the talking points and who's writing the teleprompter that apparently the, the president's not allowed to deviate from. Uh, and that kind of question, when it comes to the global superpower, when it comes to the nuclear power, uh, it, it, you know, <laughs> is, is not a good thing. Uh, and I think you're seeing so many dictatorships and authoritarians on the march right now because they believe they can get away with it. And just quickly, Tony, on the policy, I believe the policy was largely correct of strategic ambiguity uh, uh, some decades ago. And essentially, that meant that uh, we didn't want to outright say we would militarily defend Taiwan out of fear that Taiwan would then go for independence and then therefore lead to military interve intervention by China. But at this point, it's an outdated policy. President Xi of China is telling his country uh, to prepare for war, is telling his military to get ready, uh, is stating that they're going to take Taiwan either politically or militarily. So I think it's time for deterrence, not ambiguity. And with deterrence comes clarity of what actually we will do and what red lines they cannot cross. Uh, and we're not getting that clarity from this White House. They're all over the place. Yeah, it, uh, you're right. I think it is an outdated policy. And given what has unfolded with Russia, I think it's a mixed bag in terms of what China, how China is uh, looking at this situation, because clearly Russia has paid an economic price for their invasion of Ukraine. And there has been greater unity in terms of Western countries and Europe sticking together uh, on their economic policy. There's a few outliers, but for the most part, they're sticking together. And I have to think China is taking note of that. You know, I agree, Tony, from, but from the reporting that, uh, that I'm seeing and, and my own experience, uh, it appears that President Xi is not changing his plans. He's not been deterred by what's happening in Ukraine. He's just adjusting his plans and will accelerate uh, the economic pieces. That's to make their economy more independent uh, on all kinds of things, from rare earths to pharmaceuticals to oil and gas, uh, and also to make our economy, the U.S. economy, more dependent on them and therefore to make their economy more sanction-proof. Uh, and, and so I think he's adjusting his plans. And I think one other thing is just important to remind folks, the difference with Taiwan and Ukraine is we are bound by the, the Taiwan Relations Act. Uh, we are bound by right. law, uh, it, which states that we will support Taiwan militarily. Now, that's a little bit vague. Or Does that mean just sell them weapons or actually intervene with our military? Uh, but we are not bound by any type of law when it comes to Ukraine. And that's why you've seen this option of provide them arms and ammo, but not American troops. Right, right. Uh, thanks for, for making that very clear. Uh, I, I want to switch gears for just a moment to go to, well, let me, let me, before I leave that, 
uh, sure. the economic component of this is that we really need to divest ourselves of being dependent upon China yeah. for products that we're manufacturing there. We need to bring a lot of that back to this hemisphere so we're not dependent upon them because they really they have us over a barrel. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and we're actually playing into it as the left tries to drive us to uh, a completely green economy, which may, means we'll be completely dependent on batteries for all types of storage. The components that make those batteries, lithium, cobalt, manganese, and others, are dominated by China. Uh, they are launching more into space than, than us and the rest of the world combined, so they're creating dependencies there. They, con they control and make 90% of our uh, antibiotics and our cancer meds, and I can go down the list. We've got to bring those supply chains back home, and if they don't come to America, then they need to come to an allied country or one in this uh, hemisphere. I want our supply chains going north-south, not east-west, and that is not just a jobs issue. Uh, it's a national security issue at this point because it is clear state policy of the Chinese Communist Party to create dependencies that they can then choke off uh, if we don't agree with them ge geopolitically. I, I do hope that's at the top of the list when the Republicans take control of Congress to uh, to address and it. it we're not going to get to the southern border today, today today to discuss that, but it's related to what's happening in Central and South America uh, as well. Congressman Mike Waltz, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, taking time out to join us today. Okay, thank you, Tony. And, and folks, we will. We'll probably t tomorrow. We'll go to what's happening at the southern border with a federal judge putting a hold on the repeal or the removal of the Title 42 restrictions. We'll talk about that maybe tomorrow. But coming up next, the 75th World Health Assembly is underway in Geneva, and it takes on a new significance in this post-COVID world. We're going to discuss what they're looking at and what may come out of that meeting next. Don't go away. Join Family Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org Bible to begin this journey through the Bible today. Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of Scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. 
Access these free resources at frc.org slash worldview. See the center's latest blogs, op-eds, and publications by signing up for the newsletter at frc.org slash worldview email. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Again, search Stand Firm and download the app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and the website, once again, TonyPerkins.com. Today was day two of the 75th World Health Assembly, the World Health Organization's decision-making body. It contains 194 member states. And we've been discussing the last couple of weeks, among the agenda items for this event is an initiative for a new worldwide treaty on responding to pandemics. After how the the WHO handled COVID, you might think any new initiatives would include some introspection about previous mistakes and areas for improvement. Mm, But no, the current talks would grant even more power to the WHO. And not only are there treaty discussions, but there's also rules and regulations, new guidelines for how to deal with the next pandemic. And as we heard at the top of the program, they want more money. Well, joining me now to discuss this and everything else related to what is happening in Geneva, Switzerland, is Michael Alexander. He is the co-chair of the Law and Activism Committee of the World Council for Health, and he's a constitutional litigator at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Michael, welcome back to the program. Great to be here, Tony. So this is day two. It goes uh, through Saturday of uh, this week. What can you tell us about what has taken place so far? Well, the most interesting things that happened did not happen at the uh, assembly itself. It happened in the UK at the end of last week. A first-year law student in the UK uh, had the same kind of problems that we have with these new international health regulations that the uh, uh, the United States has brought forward to the WHO, uh, which would give the Director General tremendous power uh, to declare a pandemic over and against the wishes of a country where the pandemic supposedly exists. So this first-year law student asked the courts to review um, these amendments, and uh, the court rejected him summarily. So he appealed, and then he got a letter from the government that said 12 of the 13 international health regulation amendments have been taken off the table and will not be addressed at this assembly, Uh, at least at this time. That is the information. So um, the opposition that has been generated through programs like yours and uh, by efforts made by the World Council for Health uh, and by others have had an effect 
Um, and, and so really, we're all quite shocked about this. So, so Michael, some of these regulate amendments to these regulations were being put forward by the Biden administration. So did the Biden administration agree to withdraw these? Well, there's a working group within the WHO. It's made up of member states. How many? I'm not sure. I mean, this is part of the problem that we have with the, uh, the WHO. I mean, it's not transparent. And so they set up these intergovernmental groups, and we don't know who's on it and who's saying what. There are rumors that Russia was against uh, the, uh, the regulations, the amendments to the regulations, the rumors that Brazil, but we really don't know internally uh, what the debate was. But we know that there was so much opposition within the working group itself uh, that the matter couldn't go forward. So uh, the United States uh, clearly didn't play a role in that. Um, and um, so now uh, Biden is really helpless and the Department of uh, of uh, Health and Human Services, which brought the amendments forward is helpless, because if the working group doesn't want to present it to the assembly, then it won't be presented. So do we know what is being presented? Well, this is where we have to be careful about this situation, because I've been looking into the, the WHO Constitution and I've been taking a, a second look at the amendments this afternoon, and there is no definition of approval or adoption and so we have no idea whether the plan was to have an open vote, like a vote on the floor where everything is transparent and, and clear, or whether um, if these were adopted, whether it would occur in a more casual way or uh, by means of computer, or we just don't know. So we, we, we don't know how the approval process works, which is very puzzling. So we have to keep an eye on this because... Maybe the, the 12 amendments are off the table right now, but they'll come back on in a day or two, and they'll be approved in some way that is not transparent to us. So we have good news for the moment. We have to keep an eye on what's happening there. So we won't really know until this wraps up on Saturday as to whether or not these truly are off the table or they've come back in a different form uh, as they meet there in uh, Geneva. Yes. Um, and, and it's because of the, the, the overall, I mean, as with uh, these kinds of organizations, you have a tremendous amount of verbiage, rules, regulations, constitutions, and so on. But then, you know, the rubber's got to hit the road. You've got to figure out how does this organization, organization really work? And, and so it, it then becomes difficult to figure out uh, the process. And so the only thing we can do right now is remain vigilant and hope that the amendments don't somehow come back to the floor through the back door. Now, Michael, I have to ask the question that I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners are thinking. Now, this is the same organization that parroted the narrative from the Chinese Communist Party throughout the COVID pandemic that, you know, first off, oh, no, it's not person, it's not human to human you know, transmission. And, and they sat on it for so long and they just they, they failed really at every turn even so much so that the previous administration withdrew the United States from the World Health Organization, why would anyone, rationally thinking, seek to give them more power and more money? Uh, <clears throat> it's a great question, because this is a captured organization. It, is, uh, it takes billions of dollars from Big Pharma, from the Gates Foundation, um, this is not an independent, neutral, bureaucratic organization. It is a captured organization. And the director general, Tedros, uh, he was a former warlord in Ethiopia. He's a Marxist. 
And he got to the position of director general with the lobbying of the Chinese. He is China's man on the World Health Organization. So when Trump made the decision to pull out of the WHO, which of course was very controversial, I think he was doing the right thing because this is not an organization that is looking to the common good of its members and certainly not looking to the good of North America, including Canada and the US. Well, Michael, it, it, it's puzzling why we would want to we would want to give them more power, uh, cede power to them over what we do here in the United States and in Canada. Michael, up against a break. Uh, thank you for coming on. I'm sure we'll be checking in with you throughout the week to see what is the outcome of this gathering in Geneva, Switzerland. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Tony. All right, folks, coming up, State Farm. The insurance giant launched a program to distribute books to school children as young as five. Are they really a good neighbor? I would think, based on what you're about to hear, it's more like they're a creepy neighbor. We're going to discuss it next. Don't go away. More Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Most of us have at least one friend or family member who is pro-choice or have engaged with someone who doesn't share our pro-life views. As Christians, we are called to defend the weak and to speak truth in love. When we advocate for the unborn, we must do so in a way that is both honest and loving. At Family Research Council, we recognize the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. The value of human life is not conditional upon its usefulness to others or an arbitrary evaluation of a person's quality of life. Rather, the value of human life is unconditional because God, the author of life, has created all humans in his image. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by helping others speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Access our free resources at frc.org life so that you can address abortion, human trafficking, pornography, and more. Attention university students. Do you feel called to promote faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Are you hoping to grow in Christian leadership? Then join Family Research Council for an unforgettable internship. FRC's 12 to 15 week internship program is designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is necessary for government to serve the people and for culture to thrive. As an intern, you work alongside FRC's experts who will invest in your personal and professional development as you prepare to make a kingdom impact in the world. This paid internship offers free housing in D.C., allowing you to experience community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital. For more information and to apply, visit frc.org slash internships. That's frc.org slash internships. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. The insurance company State Farm recently launched a program that would enlist hundreds of staff, volunteers across the country to distribute LGBTQ-themed books to teachers, community centers, centers, and libraries targeting children as young as kindergarten. 
Now, according to a whistleblower email obtained by Consumer Research, the initiative aims to, quote, bring clarity and understanding to the national conversation about being transgender, inclusive, and non-binary, end quote. Is this like a good neighbor or more like a creepy neighbor grooming children? Joining me now to discuss this is Will Hild. He is the executive director of Consumer Research, which recently launched an advertisement campaign targeting State Farm for this and other woke activism projects. Will, glad to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. So the work that your organization does in this area, I have to say, is so critical because we've got to hold these corporations accountable for what they're doing. How did the State Farm Initiative come to your attention? Well, a, ris- a whistleblower from within the company reached out to us uh, and provided us emails where State Farm had requested that agents in Florida and it's applied uh, nationwide were asked to buy a bundle of three books from something called the Gender, Gender Cool Project, which is a radical transgender uh, lobbyist group, um, and donate them to local libraries and community centers, but notably local public schools. So this would be books explicitly written for kindergartners, uh, donated about transgenderism, about being being non-binary, uh, donated without parents' knowledge to local public schools. And in the email, it talks about wanting to start a conversation with children as young as five on these issues, which, as you noted, uh, State Farm says that they're a, a good neighbor. That's something a creepy neighbor does. And so we decided to launch this campaign to call out State Farm, to educate customers, but notably to educate parents to make sure that their kids were not approached by State Farm with these materials, uh, and if they were, to, to remedy that. All right, well, Washington Watch is a, uh, is a Christian program. We're on nonprofit stations uh, across the country. So I, I, I give that context as I ask you this next question. Can you tell us about the books without being too graphic as what's contained in these books? Certainly, I certainly can. So uh, we obtained copies of, of these books, and they are written in the, from the first person as someone who identifies as transgender, who is themselves underage, and, and someone who identifies as non-binary, who themselves is underage. So this is written from a child's perspective, targeting uh, even younger children. Uh, as, as I said, the, the book itself says it's ages five plus, so that's kindergartner age. And it describes um, the process of realizing that they were, uh, quote unquote, assigned the wrong gender at birth by doctors. It replaces the textbook definition of sex, of course, male and female, uh, with uh, something that's subjective, that's based on how one feels. And so, and it implies, or it implies, it states that, you know, you might want to question whether you're actually a, a boy or a girl if you simply, you know, are a boy who likes to play with dolls or a girl who likes to play sports. These are examples given of things that might tip you, tip one off, tip a, a kindergartner off, uh, that they were assigned the wrong gender at birth by uh, physicians or, or their parents. So um, that's the content of, of the books. I mean, why in the world will we be having these conversations with five-year-olds unless there was a bigger purpose here? I mean, and I know there's all this criticism about using this term, this term grooming, but I can't see it as any other way than preparing them for this whole sexual um, ideology that is enveloping our kids before they even need to talk about this stuff. 
Absolutely. We think it's bizarre and disgusting. We were appalled uh, when the whistleblower produced the materials. We're thankful that they, they came to us. But of course, uh, we were shocked. Um, in fact, I spent a good amount of time verifying that the documents were real, uh, first of all, because we were so, you know, we wanted to make sure uh, before we came out and, and made this clear that State Farm had actually been doing this and we were able to confirm it. And it's, it's some of the agents that we reached out to in order to confirm that this email had gone to them as well, uh, they had not seen it. It had gone to their, you know, they had skipped over it or something like that. At first they said, oh no, our company would never send something like that. And then they went back and searched their inbox and sure enough, and they themselves were appalled and shocked. So it, it's, 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 it's almost inexplicable. What would lead a company to think it was appropriate to approach kindergartners with conversations around sexual identity? Um, it, there's almost no words for how disgusting that is. Uh, Will, final question for you. Have you heard from any schools or public libraries that have received these books? Do you know how uh, far they've gone with the distribution yet? Well, uh, we ourselves have not, uh, but in, in doing research, we found posts of teachers at schools. I think there's one, uh, Seabury School, where uh, they posted that they, part, that they received these books as a partnership between State Farm and the Gender Cool Project, they listed the names of the books, uh, uh, the titles, um, and uh, uh, you know admitted that, that State Farm was the one that purchased the book. So we do know that these have made it into at least one school. All right, uh, Will, we're going to keep in close contact with you because I really appreciate the work that you're doing and holding corporate America accountable for this wokeism. Uh, that is targeting our, our children. Uh, I just wish they would do business. Just whatever it is they do, do the business and leave our kids alone. Uh, Will, again, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. All right, folks, uh, don't go away. Uh, we've got more to talk about on the education front uh, when we come back. On Friday, the National School Boards Association uh, released the findings of an independent review of the infamous Parents are domestic terrorist letter that was sent to President Biden. Was there collusion? You bet there was. We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots. But for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently, it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org slash religious liberty. In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong, biblical character 
Cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a tech subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. This is Washington Watch, and I am your grateful host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Glad that you have uh, tuned in. As we were just discussing this project by State Farm, it's corporate America is just, they're so bad. And I think, look, we need to be bold. We need to be aggressive. We need to be informed, and we need to take action. And here's one thing that you can do. And I've already talked to some people who have done this uh, as this story just broke today. Is call your, if you have State Farm insurance, call your agent. There's a good possibility. In fact, I would say it's probable that they don't even know about this, even though it is a nationwide push by State Farm. But here's what happens when you get these. Uh, we, we had this. Uh, ah, it's been a while back, but I think it seems, it seems like it was uh, Ford did something crazy. And uh, we, uh, we, we encouraged people to contact their local dealers, and the dealers were outraged by this because it didn't reflect their values. And so they called corporate, and they then backed off of this. So this is the type of stuff you need to take action. Get angry, yes, but take action. And be obviously be uh, civil when you talk to them, but say, why in the world is State Farm grooming our children with teaming up with this LGBT group. Now, let me just ask you this. I'm going to quote, and, uh, and Will uh, actually made reference to this. This was a statement by State Farm, quote, the project's goal is to increase representation of LGBTQ plus books and support our communities in having challenging, important, and empowering conversations with children age five plus. That's what the email said. So I began to think about this. I was reading. I wonder if they would be okay giving these uh, five-plus-year-olds Bibles and having important and empowering conversations with these children about God and how he made them. Oh, they would go berserk. In fact, they did. 
We had to remove the Bibles from the school because children are impressionable and we can't have conversations about religion because their young minds are impressionable. But we can talk to them about sexual perversion? Come on. This is too much. We've got to draw the line, a bright, bold line, and say enough is enough. This is sexual perversion. And they're doing this to our children. They won't allow us to talk about religion, about who created them and their eternity and where they're going to spend it and how they should live their lives according to what Scripture says and according to what has dominated Western civilization. But they can have conversations about sexual perversion. If you have State Farm... I encourage you to call your State Farm agent and ask them, what, what are you guys doing? Anyway, well, now that I'm worked up, let me see if I can get worked up a little bit more. An investigation commissioned by the National School Boards Association confirmed what many of us knew or at least suspected all along. The association worked closely with the Biden administration leading up to its written request to the president for federal law enforcement at school board meetings. Though the letter to the president contained plenty of inflammatory language, including the request for government to potentially prosecute parents who demonstrated at school board meetings as, quote, domestic terrorists under the Patriot Act, the investigation actually revealed that a previous draft of the letter even called for the deployment. Are you ready for this? the National Guard, and military police to certain districts. When did parental rights become a crime? In fact, when did it become a national emergency where you got to call out the military? Now the School Board Association has admitted this error, and uh, they're apologizing. Why? Because, let me tell you why they're responding, why they're apologizing, is because you, along with many others, started talking to local school boards and state school boards and saying, are you a part of the National School Boards Association? And they were, and many of them withdrew because of your involvement. Well, joining me now with more on this report is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Okay, Meg, see if you can get me worked up even more. (laughs) I, you know, you don't need me. Just keep going. (laughs) You're doing great. So what did you find? What did you find in this report? Well, I'm always suspicious of reports that are generated by the organization investigating itself, which is what this is from the National School Boards Association. But um, I think that's probably about all we're going to get. And um, they are laying the blame for this debacle squarely at the feet of of the unfortunate Chip Slavin. Uh, who was the acting executive director at the time and used to work for representative and former West Virginia Governor uh, Weiss. Um, And there was uh, collaboration with people in the White House and at the Department of Education about this letter, about the need for this letter. And they see these folks just were totally shocked that parents were upset and coming to school boards and expressing their concern. And, um, you know, the situation with State Farm is a great example of exactly the kind of thing that parents become very engaged and upset about. And they 
where, where are they supposed to take the, their concerns, but to their local school board, to the people they elect to represent them in the system. So um, I think it's good to explain really what is the National School Board Association. Uh, every state has an association for school board members and you know, people who are elected to school board aren't necessarily education experts. Thank goodness, right? That's what we like about them. Uh, but the State School Board Association is there to provide technical assistance. Um, it's a membership organization. You, the school boards pay dues into the system. And then the National School Board Association is a federal level organization that is supposed to be a resource for those state associations. And so Take, for example, what's going on now with Title IX, the Biden administration is going to revise this rule, and that's going to have an Im impact on local schools. And so, in theory, the National School Board Association would be explaining something like that to state school board associations who then could help local schools navigate that situation. But that's, that's the, the rainbow version of what should happen. That's not actually what has happened in this situation. They got way outside their lane. Um, the, the pandemic happened and parents were, were not happy about lots of things. They weren't happy about content. They weren't happy about children being masked. They weren't happy about schools that were having vaccine requirements. They weren't happy about uh, critical race theory and queer theory in schools. There were lots of problems going on and parents were coming and engaging with the school board about the situation. And so the response to that at the national level, instead of wondering, wow, have we overstepped? Um, should we be taking these concerns seriously? Is there, are we out of touch with the public in terms of what we're doing in schools today? That, no, none of those questions get asked. They immediately, the knee-jerk reaction is to have the federal government step in and corral parents. Uh, it's just incredible to think. Well, Meg, as I look through, you're, you're right. This is a, um, an independent review. So they were hired by the National School Board. So, you know, you, you take it with a grain of salt. Although I will say that even reading this is ex exposes the bias. I mean, they admit that they were predisposed to be partisan in their approach. Right. I think the only thing that is bringing about this I'm not even going to say reform because I think it's just a matter of they got their hand caught in the cookie jar and they're trying to keep from losing any more money from state organizations that withdrew their membership. But it, it makes very clear here that, in fact, the president, I was reading a, a part of the president, president himself called the president of the NSBA board to thank her after this letter came in. Now, the report also said, the independent report and I'm reading from the NS, uh, NSBA, uh, I'm not reading from the news articles, I'm reading from them, that uh, the, there is no, they quote, this is quote, did not find direct or indirect evidence suggesting the administration requested the letter. So they're, they're, they, they couldn't find it, that it was there, there was, it was kind of silent. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, in reading the Washington Post, the Washington Post was definitive in saying that uh, the group was not acting at the White House's behest. That's not what the report said. It said that they found no evidence that the White House asked for it. Uh, the Washington Post obviously taking that uh, to try to defend the White House. 
but this conversation going back and forth, I, I mean, I would be surprised if this letter had not been requested by the White House. Well, it, it certainly uh, was, there was pressure to do something. The, the report also uh, points to the National Association of Secondary School Principals as being the first people to call for federal relief from the parents who were coming into the school and complaining about this or that issue that we just went over, what they possibly could have been. And so there's certainly, um, this, this was a huge problem for the Biden administration. They had made a big promise to get schools open again and schools weren't opening again. And they were making it even more difficult for schools to open. And you had all of the backdoor collaboration with the American Federation of Teachers, it was later revealed, had reviewed the CDC guidance on opening schools and made it more difficult for schools to open with that guidance. So to, to imagine that there was some sort of collusion with the administration is really not terribly difficult. Well, they have a record I mean, of engaging with been, their friends. Yeah, it could have been that the NSBA approached them first, but clearly the White House coached them on what was to be in the letter. Uh, there's oh, no absolutely. doubt. In fact, I think it, it shows that, that that occurred, that there was those conversations going back and forth. Well, and the immediacy of the response from the Justice Department of all places when push, you know, when, when the letter was received and it, it, it's issued on, I think, September 29th and by October 5th, they have a response from the attorney general himself to to their request. That is that never happens. Nothing moves. <laughs> Nothing moves that fast in Washington. No. Um, the, the part of the, as you said at the beginning, they've kind of thrown the uh, previous, the former interim director, Chip Slavin, kind of under the bus here. They blamed him for it. But, uh, you know, he did. They said he was responsible for the origin and substance of the letter. But it was also reviewed by four board members. So others looked at this letter. So he didn't act it's totally alone. Now, he probably, it, it shows that he didn't run it through the review process uh, as normal. At least that's what it says. Uh, do we know if anyone here associated with uh, NSBA has been, quote, unquote, rewarded by the Biden administration? Well, there were two signatories on that letter. It was Mr. Slavin and then um, Dr. Viola Garcia, who is now at the National um, Assessments Education Board. Uh, she's She was in the running for that job, according to the report. She was in the running for that job before the letter, you know, came to be or was even discussed. And she did, in fact, go on to get that job after it was over. So even if that job wasn't necessarily a reward for the letter, she certainly wasn't punished by losing the job for her involvement in the letter. Um, so I, I think that the, the question of whether or not they had close ties with the administration is, isn't a question. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So, Meg Kilgannon, let me ask you this question. Are there alternatives to uh, NSBA being developed so state associations won't have to rely on now what is clearly known as a left-leaning Biden apologist organization? There is a consortium of state school board associations that's formed um, that um, there's not a lot of information about them on their website, uh, but it seems to be um, a, a pretty quickly formed um, alternative to the National School Board Association. I think it, it's probably going to turn out to be uh, the same sort of uh, more liberal 
uh, stripe that the National Association of School Boards is, National School Board Association is. Um, there are efforts all over the country to form alternative state level associations. Um, the Noah Webster Educational Foundation is working on that. Family Research Council with Action, we, we participated in a training in Virginia for newly elected school board members. Uh, there's a, an effort from the Heritage Foundation. There are all kinds of folks in this space uh, working to, to give information to school board members who need it uh, about how, how to do their jobs. And, and you know, they're, they do need technical assistance because education policy is right. complex by design, right. right? Nobody really wants you to understand what, what's going on. But, um, but school board members who are elected and they know, they know what to do. They, they, they know the result that they want to achieve. And it shouldn't take an outside organization to empower them to do that. The superintendent staff and everyone working in the school system should be working together for the benefit of children and families and, and so that children are learning and, and that, that we're not, you know, ha having assessment scores that go lower and lower every year instead of starting to rise again. Right. Well, the good news, Meg Kilgannon, is we now know. We know better than we've ever known before what's happening in classrooms all across America. Equipped with knowledge, we can make a difference. And we see parents doing that all across the country, running for school boards, uh, getting elected and successfully changing those policies. And as you mentioned, FRC Action, a part of that. Meg, we're out of time. Always great to have you on the program. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Tony. And folks, thank you for being with us as well. Always great to have you. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.